In the name of the Holy and Undivided Trinity, Amen. You know, Advent is still a few weeks away, but it sounds like these lessons were picked to shift our mood toward the coming season. Advent means arrival, and in a few weeks, we'll be getting ready to celebrate the arrival of God with us, Emmanuel, in a birth that happened over 2,000 years ago. But we also look forward to another arrival. We picture it as a time when the risen Christ will make a public appearance, when all the barriers we put in the way of God's reign will be undone and we'll enter into a celebration that outdoes the most festive wedding party you've ever attended. So these lessons we've heard are sort of pre-Advent lessons, anticipations of a season of anticipation. Now I have to admit, whenever the lectionary sticks me with readings about the end times, I get a little nervous. It's a dangerous subject. Just look at all the people who have come along over the past 2,000 years with the final interpretation of the end of the world. They'd offer some sketch of things to come that captured people's imagination, and if you questioned it, you would be accused of collaborating with the Antichrist. Has that ever happened to you? It has happened to me. And it's happened to so many people I admire that I think it's high time we try to sort out a few things. So bear with me as I give you a crash course on the end times, or as Helene would remind us, the word is eschatology. My homiletics professor back in the 70s told me if I ever used the word eschatology in a sermon, he would come to my room and strangle me. <clears throat> but it's a little late for that now. Here is a quick laundry list of different factions. I won't try to describe them. Just listen to some of the labels until your head starts spinning. There are historicists, preterists, idealists, and futurists. That's one level. Among the futurists, you find amillennialists, postmillennialists, and premillennialists. That's another level. Among the premillennialists, you find historic premillennialists and dispensational premillennialists, still another level. Among the dispensational premillennialists, you find pre-tribulationists, mid-tribulationists, and post-tribulationists. That's the final level, at least I think it is. Are you ready for a quiz on this? You may have heard of those once popular Left Behind books. They're written by two futurist premillennial dispensational pre-tribulationists. <laughs> have you got that? If you like those books, then you might be a futurist premillennial dispensational pre-tribulationist. 
I've been practicing this. <laughs> the scary thing is when you meet people who know exactly what that means and who will write you off if you don't have every one of their labels. I grew up Southern Baptist, as I've mentioned many times, and I knew of churches that had split because some members were futurist, premillennial, dispensational, pre-tribulationists, and others were futurist, premillennial, dispensational, mid-tribulationists. It reminds me of the story of a Texas rancher who decided to call his operation the Bar Q J Susie Q Flying W Lazy Y Ranch. Other ranchers asked him how many cattle he had, and he said, not that many. Most of them don't survive the branding. <laughs> so today, I hope I survive the branding when I tell you that I'm not a futurist, premillennial, dispensational, pre-tribulationist. I don't go along with the left-behind approach, which would have been an easier way to say what I'm not. Frankly, it's just about the most artificial approach I've ever seen when it comes to interpreting the Bible. Sometimes it even gets things backwards. The very phrase, left behind, comes from a parable Jesus told. But people who use it fail to notice that Jesus says getting left behind is a good thing. It's like being safe on Noah's Ark, he says. The people who get taken aren't raptured up to heaven. They're like the people who got swept away by the flood. You had better hope you're left behind. And speaking of getting raptured, that's a strange idea too. There's only one passage that even hints at the idea, and wouldn't you know, it happens to be the second lesson we read today from 1 Thessalonians. Paul writes that at Christ's return, we will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. But in Latin, we will be caught up is just one word, rapiemur. And we get the word rapture from that word. But Paul isn't writing about Jesus snatching people out of cars and airplanes and leaving everybody else behind. He's writing about going out to welcome Jesus as he arrives to reign among us forever. We're caught up to meet him on his way down. He doesn't turn around and take everybody somewhere else. It's like when the bridegroom shows up in Jesus' parable today. Somebody shouts, look, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. We go out to meet Christ and then head back in and start the party. It's not about snatching people out of earth and up to heaven. It's about heaven coming down to earth. As I said, I think we Episcopalians especially need to know some of this background stuff because it's pretty clear from reading the Left Behind books who they think the fake Christians are. They're people like us. If you're Episcopalian, or if you even hang out with Episcopalians, we're warned, then you'd better start digging your underground bomb shelter, because you're going to have to stay here and deal with the Antichrist, that is, if you're not already on his team. 
So let me be so bold as to assure you unequivocally, you do not need to worry about that. It's okay for you to be here among the rest of us suspects. It's okay for you to break bread with people who may not believe exactly the way you do. Don't worry about know-it-alls who claim to know what God's really up to in today's headlines. There is no danger that you are going to wake up tomorrow and find out that lots of friends and neighbors have inexplicably disappeared. But I don't mean let's just kick back and relax. We heard some words about that from Jesus today, and they don't sound very comforting. They're warnings addressed to the people of the time, but they're also warnings addressed to us. Jesus tells us to keep awake, not because we can read the signs of the times, but because we can't. We know neither the day nor the hour. He tells a parable about some bridesmaids who thought they did know the day and the hour that the bridegroom would come, so they didn't bring enough oil for their lamps. They wouldn't need it. I've met people like that. I was leading a discussion at a church in Chicago back in the 80s, talking about what Christians should do about the nuclear arms race, Somebody spoke up and said, we Christians don't need to do anything. Jesus is coming back any day now, and the book of Revelation tells us that we need to have a nuclear war before he gets here. So why try to stop it? Don't bother with making the world a better place now. Just wait for Jesus to come back and take care of things. But Jesus says that attitude won't do. You don't know the day or the hour, so don't use his coming as an excuse not to take care of one another now. These aren't cheery words. They're warnings. They're reminders about who we're called to be if we claim to be God's people. God loves us just as we are. But God wants us to love everybody else with the same love God has for us. God didn't call us together so we could congratulate ourselves and turn our backs on the rest of the world. God didn't bring us here so we could wait around for God to solve all our problems. God calls us to be part of the solution we've been waiting for. God calls us to live as if God's reign had already arrived, because in a way, it already has. The way to wait for the reign of God is to be the reign of God, to be reconciled to your friends and your enemies, to welcome people to a feast that's meant for all people, especially those who haven't felt welcome. Don't get sidetracked by slick predictions about the end of the world. Don't turn God's boundless love into an excuse to sit back and do nothing. Instead, let your life be made over by this Thanksgiving meal. 
you'll be plunged into a world where reconciliation may seem impossible. But we mustn't give up. Be the reign of God. Be God's insistent call for reconciliation here and now. We can't afford to wait. Amen.